you know, we moved and we're in this very, very small back house. And I was thinking to speak about this a second because it was a, it's been a really humbling experience in terms of um, us realizing how little we really need. Uh, we, we threw away so much stuff. And um, when you have a small house, the kids are so happy. They're all in one room and they're so much happier than they've ever been. And I asked them, do you miss the old house? And they say, no, I never want to go back there. Because they are having the time of their life that all four of them are camping in the same room. So, you know, sometimes simple is beautiful. And we think in life of all these uh, different ways of thinking in our own vision of how life can be better, how life can be more improved. You know, like we have our own visions of, um, let's say if, if you were to imagine your kids, you'll probably imagine them in a blessed way as, you know, each one gets their own room. They all have their own stuff. You know, they have something for each one of them. If they need an electric bike, they'll each have one, separate one for each. And um, what you learn and what we've learned is simple is beautiful. Like so much of what we think we need to get, we need to have, we need to add, we need to put, we need to get happier with. It's all irrelevant. And just like that, what's been so valuable to you is worthless because you don't even live there anymore. So like I, I could drive past our address on Roxbury Drive where you all used to go. And that's it. It's gone. Past. All what I did there is past. So whatever I did and whatever I left is what remains, you know, the good things. But the building itself, the walls, the things that you get heated up about, the arguments, the, you know, all of that just goes. Think about that for a while. You know, like how much of what you're living in is really that important? And how much time do we spend on it? It's all stuff and stuff goes. Ketel over, it says, like a shadow that just passes. And eventually you just move on and you're not with it anymore. So um, it's been an amazing and humbling and a beautiful experience. Um, obviously, it's an amazing thing that we've managed to move into our own house. But uh, it, in general, it's an amazing experience. So it kind of translates into what we, I want to speak about today. I want to speak about leaving a legacy in this world. And this Torah portion is called Acharemot Kedoshim. After the death of the two sons of Aaron, we get taught a whole bunch of laws in terms of Yom Kippur, Mitzvot, really, really interesting stuff. Um, the requirement to not be like the seven nations of Israel that were there prior, that stole the land prior to us going in there. And an interesting point that the Torah promises, that if we do the right things, the land won't sick us out, puke us out. Taki means to sick out. The land won't sick you out. And that's a very strange thing. And then we have the mitzvot of Kedoshim being holy and many mitzvot. Very, very interesting. The famous mitzvah of love your friend like yourself. We're going to get all into that as well. All today here in uh, our new home. And I'm really excited to have you all here. 
So, uh, leaving a legacy. Anyone here? Interesting how the words, by the way, after the death is the first. This is a statement that many people use. After the death of somebody, then it's Kedoshim. Then we see the holiness of that person. Once the person's gone, we see, oh, it's very easy to remember somebody as good, but not always so easy to live with somebody and recognize that they're good. It's like, you don't know what you've got until it's, until it's gone. That's after the death, then then you recognize the holiness of the person. It's a saying that people use when they read these two parashiot together. They say, after the death, after the tzaddik leaves, after the good leaves, then you realize what you're missing. But when you have it, you focus on all the problems and you forget all the good that you have. So, Leaving a legacy, the Torah says, uh, in Judaism, we have this idea called leaving a Yad Vashem. There's the Holocaust Museum in Israel. They're building a new one now. Do you know the Museum of Tolerance in LA is being built in Jerusalem, massive center, bigger than Yad Vashem itself. Very interesting uh, what's going to be with this building. But for many years, they've been working on it. But the Yad Vashem building, which is a memory of the Holocaust. Yad Vashem. Anyone translate that for me? Yad? Hand. Instead of saying hand of God, it's hand and God. Well, actually, so, actually. No, 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 no. Vashem doesn't hand have to and be Hand and name? Name. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I blundered. Vashem. Come on, Omri. He's yeah. right, though. God means Hashem. But in this context... Yad Vashem is a verse from Isaiah. And um, very interesting statement. And I'm going to explain to you why Yad Vashem is called Yad Vashem, a hand and a name. Which is why they gave it that name. And it's a very important motto to have for your life. Meaning, this name is something that you should all carry with you. Am I leaving a Yad Vashem, a hand and a name? So, this is uh, the statement in Isaiah. So, it says that Isaiah is talking about, you know, Mashiach and the future and the salvation. The Jewish idea that, of utopia. So, Hashem says, keep the mitzvot, do tzedakah, do charity, because the salvation is close to come. Happy is a person that always focuses on doing good and keeps Shabbat and guards his hand from doing bad. And then it says something very interesting. This is in Isaiah 56. A non-Jew or a convert should never say, being close to God, well, what's the point? Hashem Hashem is surely going to separate me from the rest of the people because I'm different. And then it says also, a person that can't have children should never say, I am a tree that's dead, a dried up tree. A person that can't have children, a saris, should never say, I'm a dried up tree. What use am I? God says to those that feel that they have no future. 
the ones that do the right things. Keep the Shabbat. The ones that choose that which I want, they choose good. And they hold on to my covenant. Hashem says, I will give them in my house and on my walls a Yad Vashem, a hand and a name. They will have on my house and on my walls a Yad Vashem, a hand and a name. Tov mi banim banot. Having a hand and a name is greater than having children. Because having a hand and a name is a Shem Olam. It's a name that lasts forever. This is something which will never be cut off. And this is the statement that is always given to anybody that may think that there's no hope in me. What hope is, is there with me? I'm like a Saris. I'm like someone who can't have children. I, can't have a, I don't have a future in this world. Someone who, let's say, hits the age of 60, 70, didn't have a family, um, and looks back and says, what's the point of my life? What was the point of all this? Hashem says, no, no. You can leave a Yad Vashem. You can leave a hand and a name, which is greater than having children. And what is that? A legacy. A hand and a name. A hand represents the impact. And a name represents the essence of who you are, what you represent. When you say a name of somebody, you remember them. And you're influenced by their name. If I want to talk about evil, I'll mention Hitler. If I want to talk about righteousness, I'll... the word Hitler represents evil. Can you imagine leaving such a name in this world? So every single person has the ability to leave a Yad Vashem. And it should be our model, it should be our, our goal, is to not only live through this world, but leave a Yad Vashem, leave a legacy where I have a hand and a name in this world, where I've made a big difference. Even if I think I have no future. And this is really the idea here of Judaism in general, is that from a Jewish perspective, we don't realize the power of the human being, but we have a huge impact on our surrounding. This is the words of Mesilat Yesharim, the path of the just, written by um, the Ramchal, Rav Moshe Chaim Lutzata, who I mentioned many times. He says like this, right in his first chapter. This, may, many people won't agree, but listen to the words. He says, if you dig deeply and contemplate deeply, you'll realize that the world was created for man to use. However, Wait, before you jump and say, I don't like that, listen carefully. So the world was here for your use. You have the ability to use this world. However, it's on a tremendous crossroads. It's on a great weighing scale. Because in one hand, if a person is drawn after this world too much and uses this world to a point which distances him from God, then he is destroying himself and he's destroying the world with him. If someone overcomes his temptations and 
clings to Hashem, does the right things, does what Hashem wants from you, uses the world only to help him further his goal, which is coming close to Hashem and giving Hashem's light to the world, he rises himself and the world will rise with him. A person is a tremendous elevation to the entire world, to all of creatures. Only on condition he uses the world if he uses the world to sanctify and glorify God's name. Now, I know that many people will say, well, that's very objective. That's very subjective. But when you study and you contemplate the words and the ideas of what we need to be doing, and we'll be speaking about that, of what the commandments are, then you realize that if I just use the world, right? Let me give you an example. It, I'll give you an example. If I use the world just for my benefit so that I can consume, then I'm going to be very bad for my, society, for my environment, both in many areas. I'm going to be a person that consumes all the time, is bad for the environment. I'm ignoring my surroundings, ignoring everybody else. I'm just, to, all I care about is myself. But if my f- goal is not just myself, but to use the things I have for elevating God's name, then part of that is loving my friends, loving my neighbors, giving charity. Part of that is all the, all the mitzvot that Hashem commands me to do. So I'm, I'm actually going to elevate the world as well. But he says like this, he says, very interesting, this is what it says when it says that God, when he created the world, he created the world with a tremendous light, which he hid. It's called Or Haganuz, the hidden light. When God created this world, he first, it was created with tremendous energy, and then it's called Simtum. Hashem um, narrowed it down, narrowed down that energy so that it's something that we can live in, which is today. When you create something, you need a tremendous energy to create it. And then the, you need gevura, restriction to not allow that energy to expand too much. It's like the world, right? It's expanding. So at the beginning, it was expanding very quickly. And then at some point, it stopped expanding. There was like this restriction of it expanding. So the same is with light. We understand that the beginning, there was tremendous amount of light, which was then put away. What does this mean? Light doesn't necessarily mean light in terms of a fire, but light is a certain type of energy. And this energy was so powerful that this is a Jewish tradition. This is what it teaches us, that the energy was so powerful that it could be used for very bad things, or it could be used for very good things. So what God did is he hid this energy and he said that this energy can only be achieved through the righteous people. So through righteousness can this energy of light be achieved. It's called Or Haganuz, the hidden light. And when God did hide the light, he was happy. Why? 
because it teaches me, it teaches me that in this world we have the power to use the world for good or bad. And if we do the right things, we can elevate the entire world. If we do the bad things, we can, the mood, listen, listen to this idea. The mood of animals around you are affected by the way that we act as humans. If humans act in a certain way, the animals will act in that way too. That's, that's Judaism. Judaism believes that the birds that you see in America, they react to the way that the humans in America react. They, they get influenced by our culture, by our society, by the way that we act. Everything, the way that trees grow, the way that everything grows is influenced by how we as human beings act. And that's what he's saying here. The same as we learned by Jacob when Jacob went to sleep, right? It says that he went to sleep in this place and eventually they found out. He finds out he had a dream, the J Jacob's famous dream with the ladder. So he puts the stones around his head and it says, what it, the Talmud says in Cholin, Rabbi Yitzchak says, that all the stones gathered together to one place and they kept, they said, The righteous person should put his head on me. Each stone was arguing, I want the righteous person to put his head on me. What's going on here? Because even though we don't see, right, even according to Kabbalistic teachings, every single physical item has an energy behind it has an influence behind it. Every single thing that we see in this world has a spiritual energy behind it. And when Jacob was lying on the stones, all the stones wanted to sleep, have him sleep on him because that's an elevation for the stones. It's a very interesting teaching. But Judaism here is teaching me, the Talmud in Cholin, it's a Talmud in Cholin, it's teaching me that as a human being, when I'm special, even stones want to use me. Then my chair that I sit on is special. You ever heard of a, of, a, of a righteous person? And you say, you know, you go on eBay and it's like, hey, this is a shirt that was worn by so-and-so, right? This is a, so it's interesting. We do that with famous athletes today. But according to Jewish teaching, it's not, about the famous athlete. It's about the energy that's given onto this thing. According to us, I don't, I don't, I don't want a, a t-shirt from a basketball player, but I would definitely want the cup that the Chafetz Chaim used for Kiddush. That would be to me something really fascinating. Because according to us, what we do in this world is affected, even the physical things are affected by them. And it gives, it, it gives you a tremendous energy. This is a very important idea. This is what it says. This is a very interesting midrash. I've, I've mentioned this midrash many times. God takes Adam out of his zone in the world and shows him the entire world. And he says, this is a midrash in Kohelet. When God created Adam, and he took him and showed him around every tree in, Gan, in the Garden of Eden. And he says to him, look at my creations, how pleasant they are and how praiseworthy they are. And all that I created is for you. 
Be very careful that you do not destroy my world. This is the idea that I want to get to, which is that according to us, I don't just live in this world, but I also elevate the entire world around me. The stones, the walls, the home. Have you ever heard of the idea of a spooky uh, home? And you're wondering what's going on. It's a home that someone else lived in that didn't do the good things in there. The energy has been absorbed into the world. The Talmud says even the walls listen. There's energies that are given off from us onto walls, onto physical things that are around us. One of the ways that this is really shown is something called Chanukat Habayit. You ever heard of this? Chanukat Habayit is where somebody moves into a new house. And in order to elevate the new home, we do a Chanukah We get a minyan and we start learning some Torah in the house. There's actually a book. You read different parts of the Torah. You read Mishnah. You read Zohar. All different books from the Torah. And everyone gets together and you make brachot. You get as many fruits, different foods as possible on the table. Everyone sits around and you elevate the walls of the house because you want the energy to be good. Then you put the mezuzah. You know, when you move into a new house... You have up to 30 days till you put the mezuzah. You don't have to put it straight away. You have up to 30 days. But what's beautiful is Chanukat Habayit, which means dedicating the home. Dedicating the home means that I'm elevating the walls. I'm bringing in a new energy into this place that I'm moving into. Very special thing to do. So this idea we see throughout this week's portion as well. Here's... Uh, a very interesting idea that the Torah promises me that when you go into the land of Israel, you're going to get this beautiful land, but it's a sensitive land. Listen to these words. Hashem says, be very careful. Don't follow those ways of immorality. Molech, they used to sacrifice the children for gods. That's how far it went. Started with sexual immorality and eventually left it led to a point where people came to be molech, which means to sacrifice their own kids for their gods. Mind-blowing. Makes no sense to us, but look how far humans can go. So the Torah says, be very careful, because the land of Israel is different than any other land. It can spit you out. When you have immoral relationships, sexual immorality is one of them, it's going to throw you out. Keep my mitzvot. Keep my gardens. Keep my... Asitamotam. Do them. It says the chokim. Things you don't understand. Mishpatim are the laws. And doing them is doing the mitzvot. There's things you don't understand. Things you do understand. Learn about them. Do them. Don't let the land of Israel throw you out. Which I am bringing you there to live in. And what does Rashi say? He said it's like the son of a king. Son of a king, that he got fed something which is disgusting. They fed him terrible food and it doesn't stay in his stomach. What happens to it? You spit it out. You can't handle it. Your body can't take it. It says, so to Eretz Yisrael. It can't last with a nation that is completely doing evil, doing wrong. 
And that's why in Hebrew, the word to sick, interesting, is to empty oneself. Because the land, if it's feeling empty, it will empty itself out. It empties itself out from the people. And that's very strange because you might say to me, how can a land be sensitive to what I do in it? I understand an animal, a human being, right? Now, there's, let's say meat, for instance. You can give spoiled meat to a dog and nothing will happen to it, true? Some dogs. You've spoiled meat to a dog. And it wouldn't do much to the dog. But to a human being, we're sensitive. So every animal has different sensitivities. I know that some animals can't have chocolate. Right? Dogs, I think, it's very bad for them to have chocolate. Every single animal, animal human being, has certain sensitivities. I understand that humans have sensitivity to foods that they put in their body. But a land, that doesn't necessarily make sense. What Judaism is teaching me here is that the land is influenced by us. Again, this idea that what we do in this world has a huge impact on the surroundings of this world. Some lands are more, more sensitive than others. The land of Israel is more sensitive than, than any other land. And the Torah promises that it would spit you out. Very interesting idea. But we can see that with humans, there's different types of sensitivities. Some people are more sensitive than others. Some animals are more sensitive than humans. Humans are more sensitive than animals in some way. There are sensitivities in our bodies. And the Torah is teaching me that even a land can be sensitive to our actions. There's one very interesting idea, though, which is promised to us. And this is Jewish history. By the way, this is not anymore a prophecy. This is a reality. The land threw us out. And it's a warning for the future too. But the land did, in Israel, throw us out. Twice. And when the Torah tells me that we will be thrown out of Israel, do you know what it says? Hashem says, I would make you astray in the nations. You would leave Israel. The land will empty you out. But... The land will be desolate. That's one of the promises. And Nachmanides and many others, the Zohar also says, Nachmanides says that that's not really a curse. When the Jewish people don't act in the right way, the land will be desolate when, it gets when the Jews get thrown out, sicked out from the land. The land will be desolate. There's a promise in the Torah. Nachmanides says that's actually a blessing. To teach me, that, yes, it's true that the land will throw you out, but it will always remember you. And it will always wait for you to come back. And no matter how long the Jews aren't there, no one will be able to make that land flourish. You know, Israel's in a place which is right in the middle of three big continents. It's like you've got Asia, Africa, Europe, everywhere, right in the middle. It's the best land for anyone to want to live in. For any kind of world superpower, any army, it's the best place to be. But for some reason, the Torah promises me that no matter how long the Jews are thrown out, 2,000 years, 
as long as the Jews are out of there, the land will be desolate. And you know what? That promise was true. And according to Jewish teaching, it's a blessing. The Zohar says that the generation that sees the land revive itself, that this curse or this blessing of Shomema, of desolate, comes back to life. The generation that sees the land of Israel coming back to life will be the generation of Mashiach. It's the generation that will see Mashiach. Listen to these words of Mark Twain in 1867. He came to the land of Israel. He was a biblical man. He comes. He says, this is my favorite quote. Oh, so this is not a quote that you would know. It's not the famous quote. But he comes into the land and he oh. says, the further we went, the hotter the sun got. And the more rocky and bare. Repulsive and dreary. The landscape became. He, he's like shocked. This is the land of milk and honey. He wrote a diary for his mum of the land of Israel. It was an amazing thing for him to go and see all the, all the Bible that he was studying. Eventually, he wants to go and see what's this land that they're all talking about. There was hardly a tree or a shrub anywhere. Even the olive and the cactus. Those fast friends of a worthless soil. Olives grow anywhere. Cactus can grow easily in dry lands. Even the cactus. Fast friends of a worthless had almost deserted the country. He couldn't even find the cactus. Palestine is desolate and unlovely. Joseph, is this still your favorite quote? And why should it be otherwise? Can the curse of God... No, a different one. <laughs> yeah, I know. Can the curse of God beautify a land? Listen to his words. Only he made a mistake. It wasn't a curse. Nachmanides explained this wasn't a curse. It was a blessing. That God promised that as long as the Jews get thrown out, I'm going to give you a sign that I'm waiting for you. And the sign is that the land will be desolate. Because if another nation can go in there and make that land flourish, then that will be a sign that maybe we're not for that land. Someone else could do it better than we can. But for all that time, the land remained desolate. Now, that's a very hard thing to promise. You can't, one of the wonders of Jewish history, if you know about the seven wonders of Jewish history, one of them is this. How can you make a promise that in the future, I'm going to send you to Israel. And in the future, when you get there, you better behave. Because if you don't, the land will sick you out. And if, you do, and if it does sick you out, the land will be desolate. But as long as you're there, it's going to be a land fl flowing with milk and honey. And look how these past 70 years, once the Jewish nation returned, how much of a flourishing country that place is. It's amazing. With all the wars and all the problems that people are giving it. The land is flourishing. Vegetation has come back. We are the role model for drip irrigation and farming. How you turn a deserted land into a land that flourishes, that almost gives itself all of its vegetation. We export now our vegetation. It's insane. So what's going on here? And that's the idea here. The idea here is that we as human beings sanctify our surroundings. That's called Kedushah. We have to know. That wherever we go, we leave a Yad Vashem. We leave a hand and we leave a name. 
We leave a Roshem in Hebrew, it's called, an impression. And the question is, what impression are we leaving? Because we're not here forever. At some point, we're going to move from wherever we are. But the impression that we leave, that stays on forever. So one of the big questions that people ask is, what does that mean? Like, How can you say that some places are more... This actually does answer this question. right? People have asked me, how can you say some places are holier than others? Let's say the Kotel, the Western Wall. How is that place holier than, than the bathroom? If God is here, if God is there, if God is truly everywhere then everywhere is holy. How can one place have more holiness than the other? And the answer is because in this world, God gives us the power to bring in good energy. But we have to be the, the people that give off that right antenna to receive the energy. And what is the antenna? Good vibes. If you have the right vibes, you can. That's why, by the way, according to Jewish teaching, prophecy, wisdom is all to do with happiness. If someone's happy, contempt, they can have a level of prophecy. If they're happy, they can have wisdom. There's a blockage in the brain as soon as somebody's unhappy. If if you're unhappy, it has a blockage in the influence of the energies that you could be receiving. And the walls. The buildings, everything is influenced by the energy that we give off. We might not see it at first. We think, oh, this is the same building as anywhere else. But the energy isn't the same. And that's why some places can be holier than others. It's because of the energy that we humans bring into that place. So that's what Kedusha means. The same we learned by Jacob. What does it say by Jacob? Says that Jacob left from Be'er Sheva. That's my Bar Mitzvah parsha, Rabbi. Oh, perfect. So we we know that when... Right, he went towards Haran. Why did he leave Israel? He left because his brother was trying to kill him. And Rashi says he left from Be'er Sheva and he went to Haran. He went somewhere else. When you tell me, right, where someone goes, you tell me where he's going to. I know where he's going from because I know him. Joseph, you're leaving. You're going to visit Israel. So you tell me I'm going to Israel. You don't tell me I'm going to Israel from LA. I know that. That's where you live. So what's it telling me that he left from Be'er Shepherd from Israel? We all know where he was from. Why is it telling me that? And the rabbis teach us, Magid, she'itziyat tzadik minamakom oser roshem. When a righteous person leaves a place, it has an impression on the place. Because as long as the righteous person lives in that town, he's the glory. He gives splendor and he gives beauty to that environment. You see all these words, glory, splendor, beauty. Obviously, there's much more depth to it. But all of these are vibes. You hear that? These are feelings that you give in it's, a, it's a, an environment. It's, it's the atmosphere that's, that's uh, per- permeating from you, that's given over from you to others, right? Glory, splendor, beauty. These are words of like, wow, right? When a righteous person leaves, they take with them 
to a certain extent, the glory, the splendor, the beauty of what they've influenced in that place. They cause a tremendous amount of influence on the place that they're in. That's what it says also in Tehillim in Psalms. I say, I say this many times, but this is, I'll say again, and I'll bring the Midrash, which says it. Happy is a person who doesn't go with the advice of the wicked. He doesn't go in their advice. Doesn't doesn't say he doesn't go with them. He doesn't go with their advice. He doesn't stand in their path, in their way. He doesn't stand with them. And he doesn't sit with them. And when it says doesn't sit with them, it says doesn't sit with them in the past, even when they're not there. He didn't sit, right? Even though they're not there anymore. Very interesting statement. This is what the Midrash says. Happy is a person that doesn't go in the advice of the wicked. And doesn't go in the, doesn't stand with those that do wrong. And those that mock, in Hebrew, is mockery. There's nothing wrong with having humor. There's something wrong with mockery. Mockery is where you take somebody that's serious or something that's serious. And you make a joke out of it. Okay, so, um, you know, like taking somebody on making a joke for the whole community to laugh at on the expense of somebody else. It's unfair. You find somebody that's uh, falling on the street. You take his video and you publicize it. It's unfair. That's called taking, making a mockery because you're taking something that's serious, someone's life that's serious. Or taking an idea from the Torah that's serious and making a joke out of it. There's nothing wrong with humor, but there is something wrong with humor on the expense of the other. So it says you don't sit in the place that they sat. So Rabbi Shimon ben Pazi, this Tam, the Talmud, the Midrash says, it's also brought down in the Talmud and Avodah Zarah. He says, after, I don't get it. You don't go with them. You don't sit with them. You don't stand with them. What's the repetition for? If you don't sit with them, if you don't go with them, so where are you standing? If you don't stand with them, then where are you sitting? So the Torah is teaching me. If you go, you're going to stand. If you stand, you're going to sit. And if you sit, eventually you're going to be like them. So a wise person starts off and doesn't even go with them. Ah, I'm just going with them. I'm not like them. I'm just hanging out. The wise person says, I don't even want to stand near them. I don't want to stand in the place that they were. Because I want good energy. But they're not even around. Yeah, but Jewish teaching understands that a place that bad was happening, even if it's not happening anymore, it has an influence on the place. Unless we change the environment. We could change the environment. By bringing many people, changing the vibes, right? Listening to, for example, a computer, a TV. That could be used for very good things. It could be used for very bad. I don't think it's good or bad. It depends on, on what you're going to use it for, right? And if you know that you can't trust yourself with it, then that's another discussion. Then, then it is bad either way. But... A person needs to know that we have the ability 
to transform us around the, the physical reality of the things around us. So my clothes, I have a white shirt, and I'm sure some of you also have another white shirt somewhere in your cupboard. But your white shirt's different than mine because it belongs to you and you've worn it. My white shirt is different to yours because it belongs to me and I've worn it. Every single thing that you wear has been influenced by you and by how you act. It's a very interesting idea. But that's one of the ways and ideas or the mottos that we need to have is what Yad Vashem, what legacy am I leaving on my surroundings, on my home, on my clothes, on my food, on my everything around me, not just on me, but what impression am I leaving on my surroundings? Am I leaving a Yad Vashem? They said this about this Holocaust because so many people left this world at a young age and many said, oh, what kind of life did they have? You know what? Some of them left a legacy that's much greater than we, than we have left. Much greater than many other people have left. Olam hafuch ra'iti, like the famous Talmud says, when one rabbi went to the world above, they said, what did you see? He said, I saw an upside down world. The people that we all think are special in this world are not necessarily special. And the people that we think are just commoners on the side of the street are extremely special. We don't know the truth behind every single person. Some have no money and they are committed to giving uh, a small amount based on their income, a small amount of charity. Some have a tremendous amount of money and give no charity. We don't know the story behind each person. And when a person leaves this world and we see the, the truth, according to Jewish teaching, we're going to be surprised to see olam hafuch ra'iti, an upside-down world. So here is the idea. We all have the ability to leave a legacy in this world. And sometimes we think, oh, I've lived for 100 years. Some people live for 20 years and do tremendous things in those 20 years. What matters more than anything is the Yad Vashem that we leave in this world. Because what's the difference between 20 and 30 and 40 and 50? It's all very short anyway. Everyone lives for such a short time. How, how long do we live already for? But the impression that we leave, that lives with us forever. That's the Yad Vashem. How do we leave a Yad Vashem? How do we leave a good impression? Finish off with some of the mitzvot, some of the mitzvot in Kedoshim in this week's Torah portion as well, called Kedoshim being holy. Kedoshim to you, ki kadosh ani Hashem Elokechem. Be holy because I am holy. In what area should we be holy? Hmm. It says two things. Rashi says. Sorry, that's Nachmanides. Rashi says, being holy means in the regards of immoral relationships, illicit relationships. Being faithful is something which is very important to Judaism. Being in the right relationships in the area of sexuality is what destroys almost every society. It's when there's no values in terms of Sexuality is what eventually falls or brings to the downfall of that society. 
History has proven that very much so. So, Kedoshim to you, be holy. Rashi says, what does it mean to be holy? In the regard of Arayot, how I speak about sexuality, how I think about it. That doesn't mean that one must not have pleasures in this world. Also, that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. It's about utilizing it in the wrong fashion, using it in the wrong way. But Judaism is not anti-sexual at all. But it's channeling it in the right way so that both you can enjoy this world and you can do it in the right way as well. Rashi says that being holy means to be holy in regards to sexuality. Nachmanides says, You know what leaving a legacy means? Being holy. How do you be holy? Make yourself holy with that which you're allowed to do. You're allowed to eat. You're allowed to sleep. You're allowed to run. You're allowed to walk. You're allowed to work out. You're allowed to talk. There's many things that you're allowed to do. As much as people think that Judaism has a lot of laws, there's many things that it doesn't have laws about. You're allowed to do many things. But even that which you're allowed to do, somebody needs to make themselves special. It's true that you're allowed to eat, but no one says you need to eat like that. Right? That's called holiness. Holiness means that you choose to make yourself holy in areas that you can make yourself holy in. That you put boundaries. You make yourself in the middle path, even in areas that you could um, that you were allowed to be in, that there's no boundaries in, but make yourself the right boundaries. That's what it means. Make yourself holy in areas that you're allowed to be. I think that's one way of really leaving a legacy, is making you a distinguished, special. The Torah then goes on and tells me a list of many mitzvot, very interesting mitzvot, honoring your parents, keeping Shabbat, not serving other gods. And it doesn't just mean bowing down to an idol. It's not what it means. But being obsessive with something that doesn't have any purpose. Right? That's, that's also serving another god. There's three uh, in terms of owning a land. If you, if you owned a farm, which used to happen with most people. There were three mitzvot. Leket, shichicha, and peah. Leket is that if you're gathering your harvest and you're benefiting from all that's growing in your land, leket is as you're gathering it, some of the grains or the, the wheats, the stalks of wheat, there's a certain number, that if they fall on the ground, you leave them for the poor. So the poor can come to your field and enjoy from it. It's a very important thing. A person must not enjoy this world Without having anything that you're giving to others. It's a big problem. If somebody's just living this world for accumulating stuff for themselves. One of the ways of being special is leaving for others. Giving. Tzedakah. And even within Tzedakah there's many laws. Peah. You know that they used to, if you owned a field, you used to leave a small corner of the field for the poor. That if the food, if the grains fell, you'd leave that for the poor. Areas that you forgot to harvest. That's for the poor. There's another law. Very important. This is what's going to make you distinguished, special, holy. 
Lo tasok velo talin. You know this mitzvah? Lo tasok et reecha velo tigzol. Lo talin pulat sechir etchad boker. Listen to this. You can't cheat in terms of work. That's how many hours he worked. Because hey, 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 you worked for 11. No. You can't steal. That's obvious. But you also can't hold on someone's wage. If their wage is day to day or hour to hour, you have to pay that next day. If their wage is month to month, you have to pay at the, that, on the day. You're not allowed to hold on even overnight. That's according to Jewish law. Not even at night. If we have, um, sometimes we have help. Uh, we have a lady that comes and helps us with washing and many other things. And she gets paid by the hour. And we make a note. No matter what happens, if we don't have cash on us or money, she will go and get it. But she needs to get paid on that day. So there's a mitzvah to make sure it's called Lotalin. You can't leave overnight the money that needs to be paid for the worker that worked for you, even overnight. Ad Boker, till the next morning. I'll pay you tomorrow morning. No, today. That's a requirement according to Judaism. So it's one of the mitzvah. You have to understand, you know, the same way we have a mitzvah not to eat pig. And we have many mitzvot not to eat non-kosher, right? You have to eat kosher food. There's a mitzvah to not leave and, and to hold back the wage of somebody. Even till the next morning. If their pay is now, their pay is now. This is an interesting one. Leaving an impression is giving rebuke. It says in the Torah that you must rebuke your friend. How do you do that? It has to be done in the right way. What's the rule? You rebuke them. On one condition. That you don't bear on him the mistake that he did. If somebody makes a mistake, you could tell them off. But in a way that's respectful to them. Not, hey, what did you do? Why did he do that? It says, Rebuke your friend. But don't make it that it's too heavy on him. So that it's so heavy that he can't bear the mistake that he made. It has to be done. If somebody is going to rebuke, it has to be done in a respectful fashion. It also, we, we know that there's things that we don't rebuke for. We only rebuke for things that are done in public. If something's done in private, between him and God, there's nothing to do with you. We don't rebuke for that. We're talking in general about rebuking someone in terms of when they've done it in public. But you don't embarrass them. You talk to them privately. But that is a very important aspect of leaving an impression. It's not always being the nice guy. Part of leaving an impression is bringing a certain element of gvura into the room. Giving an element of restriction. No, you know, I really don't think that this is the right thing to do. I'd rather not talk about this. This really hurts my soul. I don't like this music. It really bothers me. There's nothing wrong with saying that. I'd, I'd rather listen to different types of music. It's just, it's just angry, cursing. 
right? This is just not my, it's not good for my soul. I don't like seeing those, you know, I, I personally don't like blood. It's just something actually I don't want to see. So that's called um, rebuking in a way that's loti which doesn't embarrass the person that's doing wrong, but that's actually a requirement. That leaves a, an impression. Somebody who just goes with the flow doesn't show that you have a backbone. I think one of the most attractive things in a person is if they have a backbone to them, that they're able to say, I'm sorry, I just, this doesn't work for me. If somebody's able to do that in a non-confrontational way, to me, that's something which is very attractive. It means that they have some values that they're strong with. They have an identity. Somebody who just, you know, one day, this friend says, let's do this. And you go, and then the next day, yeah, fine. And this, yeah, fine. So then they don't have an identity. What are the things you will do? And what's the things you won't do, no matter what happens? What will you fold on? And what would you say, yes, I'll do? Right? Because when you have an identity, then there's certain things you'll never give up on. Don't take revenge. Don't bear a grudge. We've spoken about that in the past many times. Love your friend like yourself. I am God. By the way, whenever it says I am God, it's talking and re- it's referring to a time where no one's watching, like return a lost item. No one's watching. You're walking down the street. You see a lost item. You can easily say to yourself, ah, no one's watching. Why should I bother myself with returning it? Let's just leave it on the street. Ani Hashem, I'm God. I'm watching. Even though no one else is watching, I see. There's a lot of mitzvot. There's a lot of commandments that people may think, oh, I don't need to keep this as long as no one's watching me. That's why many mitzvot says, Ani Hashem, I'm God at the end of it. When it says, love Hashem, Love your friend like you love yourself. It says, Ani Hashem, I'm watching. I know how much you love yourself. Nachmanides actually asks, how can it be possible to love somebody as much as you love yourself? How is that possible? We have a natural instinct to love ourselves. We look after ourselves. We care for ourselves. We, if I'm not going to look after myself, who will? Hillel said. What does it mean to love your friend like you love yourself? How can you? This applies, by the way, in marriage to your spouse. Love your, love the, the, the law of was enough to require us to see the person I'm marrying before I marry her. You are required according to Jewish law. to see, You can't have somebody in, in a messenger send the ring for you and marry you off in another country if you never saw that person. You have to first see the person. Why? The Torah says, because you must love them like the, the laws of Judaism are influenced by the law of you must love your friend like yourself. How can you love somebody like yourself? Nachmanadi says you can't. It's not possible. You know what he says? You're reading the words wrong. The mitzvah is lamad before your friend means love for your friend as you love for yourself. What does that mean? Whatever you will do for yourself, do for your friend. That's possible. Want, at least want for your friend what you would want on yourself. That's something which is doable. Not necessarily 
to feel the same instinctual love that you have on yourself for someone, but want whatever you wish for yourself, want it on someone else. So if you're, um, if you're packing to go to a new house, this is one thing that we were saying as we were packing. We were saying, as we're packing, we're saying, I wish that everybody who uh, is packing is packing for their home too one day. Everyone should be, be blessed, not only that we are able to have a home, but I wish and bless that everyone should be able to pack their own home and go in their home, build a family. It's something which we wish on everyone. So doesn't necessarily mean that you should have the instinct, but want what you have on yourself, want it for others. That's a better way of understanding. Nachmanides is understanding. There's a, another explanation where it says, like yourself. What does it mean, love yourself? You love your friend like yourself? You love yourself not because of something. Why do you love yourself? Because you ask yourself, you ask you, do you like yourself? Yeah, I do. Why? I don't know. Because you have nice clothes? No. I like myself irrelevant of my clothes. Do you like yourself because of your looks? I don't know. I think so. Why? But you know, why do you love yourself? There's no real reason. I just do. So, the Altov Slobodka says, that's how we, that's the commandment here. Train yourself to love others like yourself, not because of their money, not because of what they can give you, not because of what they can feed you, not because of their car, their money, their looks, their friendship, their, no, kamocha, like you love yourself, you love yourself irrelevant. Of what you have. You love yourself without any conditions. Try and bring on yourself the love that you have for others without any conditions. There's a famous, um, I think it's with Rabbi Arya Levine. Famous story with a, a big, big rabbi that was in Israel for many, many years ago. And um, some gang group came in they didn't like the, what the rabbi was teaching they came in and they wanted to beat him up in those days there wasn't many people around and you can easily walk into the rabbi's house small little apartment they walk in a whole gang a whole group of people came running in with sticks they wanted to beat up the rabbi they walk in they see the rabbi smiling and within a few minutes they calm down how come they come up to the rabbi and said, what happened? How did, they, how did you do that? You didn't even say a word. What did, what did you do? He said, as they came in, I thought to myself, I really love these people. I really love these people. They are good souls. I thought to myself how much I love them and they felt it. How come? This is what it says in, this is what Shlomo Amelech Solomon the king says. He says, just like water reflects a face of a person to a person, right? Just like when you put your face by water in the dark, right? You see your reflection. So too, from one heart of you to another person's heart. Your heart is a mirror to somebody else. Somebody feels how you feel. 
just like when you look in the mirror, they, you see your face and you're like, wow, the water's reflecting me. Well, so too are people reflecting you. When people see you and they see how you talk to them, they, they feel those vibes. And when this rabbi was looking at them and saying, I really love them without any strings attached, they felt that. That's lev ha'adam la'adam. They felt from heart to heart like a reflection. They felt his energy. Anyway, so my blessing is that we all leave a tremendous influence on this world. And uh, as much as we can, leaving a Yad Vashem. If I walk around with a thought in my mind that I want to leave a Yad Vashem in this world, if everyone thought like this, that this world is in my hands to either destroy or create, I have the power and the responsibility to make this world a better place. And it's all for me to make it better. It was created for me to influence. That's a tremendous responsibility. And I have the power to change this world, to bring good into this world, to leave a legacy, to be kadosh, to be holy in all the areas that we spoke of. Then a person can really make a change and a difference. Leave a Yad Vashem, a hand and a name. And that will be good for you, for your soul, and for everybody around you, including the walls that are listening and watching all of your actions. Are there any questions, thoughts, ideas, something you want to share? 